Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. You'll be on at 11, and I will be on from 12 to 2, in addition to our shows tonight, because this is history and it matters. Anderson, I'll see you in a second. I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to the first installment of primetime, 13 minutes. That's all that really should have resonated with senators today. 13 minutes was the duration of the video compilation of the events of January 6th, one of the worst days in American history. And Trump was all over it. And what was wrong about all of it was obvious. The hats, the faux flags being used as battering rams, and most of all, the anger anger and animus against our country's laws that led to an insurrection attacking our democracy. That is the story of January 6, and it is one that may not be given an ending in the trial that we're watching. Other than the presentation of the horrifying reality that brought these senators together today, this day, today, was a farce. After all, there's only one reason this trial is being held after Trump's defeat. And that reason is Senator Mitch McConnell. McConnell asked to kick the trial until after Trump was out of office. This is a fact. He never said he was doing that because they had to consider whether or not it is proper to try a president so late in the game. That is a fact. He said he wanted to give the trial the time it deserved. He lied. He voted to say it wasn't constitutional. He didn't know that then. It was another bait and switch. Democrats, how many times will you pet the snake? The law here is clear. The Constitution provides no conditional nature to the Senate's duty. Okay? The Senate shall have the sole power to try all impeachments. That's it. There are no ifs. There is no other language. So what do you do? You follow the law. Where are the originalists? Josh Hawley, the inimitable Ted Cruz, his own former legal advisor says the senator is wrong about this. And it's not just that he's wrong. He's just not being honest. And this was not lost on the lead house manager, Jamie Raskin. All means all, and there are no exceptions to the rule. That's it. It's all you ever hear from the right about the Constitution, right? If it's not in there, it's not in there. It's not in there. In fact, there's no rule that even allows the Senate to do what it did today. I don't know why the Democrats allowed this. This let's debate if we need to do our job. It was another chance, though. Here was the value in this whole process. You got to see how even in the face of such clear proof of what is right, there are so many willing in their number to do what they know is wrong. I was frankly shocked that only one more Republican joined the 55 other jurors in the vote to proceed. Senator Cassidy of Louisiana, Republican, changed to a yes after last week and explained why. If you listen to it, it speaks for itself. It was disorganized, random, had nothing. They talked about many things, but they didn't talk about the issue at hand. The House managers made a compelling, cogent case, and the president's team did not. 
That should have been obvious to everyone in the room, but only one had the integrity to say or do something about it on the Republican side. Day one of the Trump trial, a phrase you may get used to, Trump trial, because there may be several to come. This day certainly saw Trump get the defense he deserves. It was pathetic. Other key GOP jurors like Murkowski and Cornyn are panning the defense. I argue Trump's own lawyer made the best point of the day, and I'll tell you about it in a second. But to be clear about what mattered, Trump's guys don't have the law or the facts on their side. Those are both damning. Their advantage is they have the jury rigged in their favor. But be clear about what is before your eyes right now and what we must never forget. It is a day that will live in infamy. January 6th is an insurmountable obstacle. House managers showed the first of many pieces of video evidence recounting that day. Trump's words on the 6th spliced with the mob's response to the same and a reminder in between clips that seven lives were lost, including a Capitol Police officer and two other officers who took their own lives after that day. More than 140 in law enforcement injured. The video ends with Trump's tweet siding with the insurrectionists more than four hours after the Capitol was breached. Quote, These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election is so unceremoniously and viciously stripped away from great patriots. Imagine if Putin said it, how angry they would be. A lie. A lie that Trump told exclusively for his own advantage and to make people angry. And you know who made that case best today? Trump's own lawyer. The American people just spoke and they just changed administrations. The people are smart enough in the light most favorable to them. They're smart enough to pick a new administration if they don't like the old one. And they just did. Mr. President, former president, your own lawyer says you're lying. That's defense attorney Bruce Castor saying the people just spoke. They're smart enough. And Biden won. They changed administrations. The irony that these senators sit there and look forward to acquitting a man whose own lawyer admits he was lying. I'll tell you what, you know what else he did, Mr. Castor? He invited a future Trump indictment. Listen to this. If my colleagues on this side of the chamber actually think that President Trump committed a criminal offense, and let's understand, a high crime is a felony and a misdemeanor is a misdemeanor. The words haven't changed that much over the time. After he's out of office, you go and arrest him. Now, we're going to talk about the possibility of that. By the way, He's making an argument, but he knows it's not accurate. If you go back and look at the history of why they picked high crimes and misdemeanors, they were adopting a common law principle from the English. It wasn't about actual crimes. It was about their way of just not making it subjective. They didn't like that they chopped the head off the king when they didn't like how he did his job over there. So they wanted some standard and they came up with a common law standard. It's not about felonies and misdemeanors. It's about abuse of office, period. And he should know that. But he's arguing a point. And by the way, that was the high point for Trump. Things went worse from there when the other Trump lawyer, David Schoen, took over. Listen. This trial will tear this country apart, perhaps like we have only seen once before in our history. So here's what they're saying. Don't hold Trump to account for encouraging an insurrection because that may lead to another. I wonder by whom. Look, fear of Trump is a sham. Fealty to Trump is our challenge. How can so many senators still put Trump above accountability, above the law, especially when they were all witnesses to and potential victims of the insurrection? Think about it. When do you see a jury full of witnesses? a head prosecutor of a trial recounting his own ordeal as a victim in the same case. Here's Jamie Raskin. 
All around me, people were calling their wives and their husbands, their loved ones, to say goodbye. And then there was a sound I will never forget, the sound of pounding on the door like a battering ram. The most haunting sound I ever heard. The kids hiding under the desk, placing what they thought were their final texts and whispered phone calls to say their goodbyes. They thought they were going to die. And I told my daughter Tabitha, I told her how sorry I was, and I promised her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. And you know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. <laughs> we all know that this was a massacre in the making, and we got lucky. Now, they have to think about this. The senators on the right side of the aisle are thinking about protecting the man who sent an angry mob to find them. How much of your party and yourselves can you give away before there is nothing left worth keeping? Today was about how clear the law is here. Tomorrow, the facts will be an even more powerful demonstration of the obvious. Will senators really give Trump a pass on his responsibility for one of the worst days in American history that could have cost them their lives? Let's bring in the better minds, Preet Bharara and Michael Smirkanish. Preet, people are talking about uh, somewhat of ineptness of uh, counsel on behalf of the president's defense. But how good a case do you need to have when the jury is in your pocket? Well, that's the big question, right? And I want to say, you know, I'm a lawyer and I practice and I've tried cases and I've overseen significant trials. And I've been on the phone all day back and forth, emailing and texting with you know colleagues and former colleagues of mine about the lawyer's performance. And I've seen people on television talking about it. And I think we should just be clear that we should not let the ineptitude and the conduct of the lawyers overshadow the conduct of the president here. Uh, because the conduct of the president, Good as you point. have been outlining, I think very, very eloquently uh, during this whole time at the beginning of the show, that's what, what matters here. At the end of the day, though, it's the jury that counts and a jury that voted the way they voted, notwithstanding how clear the law is, how much consensus there is on one side of the constitutional question. They nonetheless, almost on a party line vote, voted against the trial going forward doesn't bode well for how it's going to turn out at the end. So at the end of the day, I think the public will be educated as to the conduct of the president. And uh, lots of people in the public may have their minds changed because of the excellence of the performance by the House managers. But if what Trump really cares about is only not being convicted, I think the good money is on that. Anything make you feel differently today, Michael, than how you came into it? No. Uh, and I think that today proved that the arguments just don't matter. I think you put your finger on something a moment ago, Chris, when you said that it's not going to get easier for President Trump's defense, because today was the easier day. T today was the day, and I know you don't buy into this, but today was the day that they could have wrapped themselves in the removal language of the Constitution, that they could have wrapped themselves in the credibility of Bruce Ackerman from Yale or Judge Michael Ludig. And they did none of that. I, I love the expression slow burn. And I can only imagine that Ted Cruz, Princeton undergrad, Harvard Law School, Alan Dershowitz says one of his most brilliant students ever, was doing a slow burn watching that today, thinking, my God, I could be doing a hell of a lot better if they'd give me the opportunity to argue the constitutional issue. I don't know. When he got his chance, he stood up and said, the proof is the polls that the election was stolen. So he didn't exactly wow us when he got his chance. Preet, um, there was a suggestion made today by counsel that we've been hearing more now echoed on the right. If you think Trump is responsible, just arrest him and hold him to account now that he's not president anymore. Now, it's not crystal clear that that can happen. We've seen only mostly civil litigation involving former presidents for events during their presidency. But do you think that's a legitimate option here, that if the Senate takes a pass, acquits him, that he could be arrested and prosecuted? Yeah, look, I think on any one of a number of issues, <clears throat> the president is in jeopardy. He's in jeopardy out of the Manhattan DA's office with Cy Vance looking at various improprieties 
relating to his taxes and representations he's made to financial institutions. There are people who are potentially taking a look at the other actions, some of which makes up the conduct of the article of impeachment, interfering with the result in the Georgia election. Uh, we know that the state attorney, that the D.C. attorney general is taking a look at things. And obviously, we don't have a new attorney general yet. We don't know what kind of process uh, he, Merrick Garland, will set up if he's confirmed. But there are all manner of things that the, that the Justice Department can look at. And as President Biden has said, he won't be directing those things. So he's in a certain amount of jeopardy no matter what. And I also think it's the case that there's other things that the president may have done. We're finding out revelations all the time from people who now feel comfortable enough coming forward. So I think there's jeopardy based on things we know. I think there's property, pro probably jeopardy based on things we don't yet know. But none of that excuses this Congress and the senators, Republican and Democratic, from undertaking their responsibility and not passing the buck or kicking the can down right. the road to some future hypothetical prosecution. So, Michael, last word to you. You're a Republican senator sitting and listening to what's going to happen over the next couple of days. What do you have to believe in order to ignore what is going to be so obvious about January 6th, how bad it could have been and why it happened? Well, the, the way that you expressed it at the outset, saying that they're somehow loyal to Trump, I don't think this is about loyalty to Trump. I think it's all about self-preservation. I, I don't think they give a damn about Donald Trump. I've said to you before, if this were a secret ballot, he'd be gone with 80% of the votes. It's all about how they interpret the base reaction to this. And in those votes today, notwithstanding Senator Cassidy, they showed us they've got resolve to continue to toe the line because they're fearful of that base. That's, I think, how it ends, barring the unforeseen. Preet Bharara, Michael Smirkanish, thank you for giving us your thoughts on this historic first day of the impeachment trial of Donald Trump. So the managers, by the way, they're the prosecutors, okay? Members of the House become what they call House managers, the prosecutors. They remain undecided on witnesses. Now, this is a very interesting issue. Why? You're about to hear from two tonight. One is a juror at this trial, because remember, almost all of them are witnesses to the events of January 6th. The other is the former head prosecutor of Trump trial number one. What did they make of this day? What do they think should happen next? The big decision to watch in this trial is whether or not House impeachment managers will call witnesses. They're in a unique position, if you think about it. Nearly every juror, and I keep doing this because they're not impartial. Mitch McConnell told you that, right? I'm not impartial. These are politicians thinking about what it will take to overcome their own self-interest. That's what it is. I wish it weren't. That's what it is. But nearly every one of them still was an eyewitness to the horror of January 6th and the days leading up to it. So let's talk about the value that witnesses could bring to their case and where things stand after day one. Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff, the lead manager in Trump's first impeachment trial, joins us now. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you. It is January 6th. And when you think about it, which moment comes to mind first for you? Well, I think the moment uh, that Jamie Raskin so powerfully talked about today, uh, and that is I was on the House floor with Jamie uh, and listening to these uh, insurrectionists battering the doors, breaking the glass to get into the chamber. Um, it is an unforgettable uh, and terrifying sound and one that uh, none of us that experienced it will ever forget. What were you afraid of happening if they made it into the room with you there? Well, you know, I had a number of members, uh, including Republican members, tell me they can't see you. Don't let them see you. Uh, you're in a different situation. Uh, and so I felt like I was a marked man. Uh, and who knows what would happen if they were able to breach that chamber and if those Capitol Police hadn't acted so heroically. Um, so it obviously could have been much, much worse. And as it was, it was just awful uh, with five people dead uh, and, and the, the citadel of our democracy is so horribly uh, defaced. So to feel what you did in that moment and then to live the perfidy of watching so many members of your house uh, stand up to decertify the election, which was really just a nod uh, to the insurrection, and now to see what's happening in this trial, how do you make sense of it? 
Well, it's hard to make sense of. Uh, and as those events were going on in the House chamber uh, and, and, and my House colleagues uh, in the GOP picked up right where they left off after that failed insurrection, we're still trying to overturn the results of the election. Um, those members, unlike a lot of that mob, those members on that House floor knew that what the president had been pushing out was lies. They had helped push out the same lies uh, and so they had a great deal of culpability themselves. Uh, watching that 13-minute uh, video presentation that the House put together, uh, it couldn't be more obvious this is the, the gravest constitutional crime uh, in the history of our country, uh, and that we would have so many uh, GOP senators uh, vote effectively to not hear the evidence, not proceed to trial, to have the Senate leaders say, I'm not going to begin the trial while the president is in office and then vote to say we can't continue the trial now because the president is out of office. Uh, that is not consistent with constitutional duty, not in my view. Um, but that issue has now been voted on. The trial goes on. Uh, and I think the power of the case the managers put on will only grow. What do you think of witnesses? Uh, we've made a point on this show of bringing the lawyers on uh, for different people who are accused of uh, more serious crimes that day. And they say uh, to a man, uh, look, this is what we needed to do. Trump made it very clear. We have to fight for this. This was being stolen from us. And they were in that place. And we had to go let them know one way or another, you're going to abide by what we think is right. Would you put those people on to make that point? You're not going to get the loser of the election. He's not going to show his face. But would you put those people on? Well, you know, I have every confidence uh, Jamie Raskin will make that strategic decision and make it the right way. But I can tell you what he will be weighing, or at least I think what he will be weighing in that video. And I'm sure there's more where that came from that we'll see during the trial. You hear people in the crowd talking about why they're there, that they're there because the president told them to be there. Um, how much additional power does it add to bring in those lawyers, for example, and how much does it risk uh, distracting from the rest of the case because then the defense may want to bring in other witnesses to rebut them? That's the calculation that will need to be made. But I would f certainly expect that we are going to see, like we did today, powerful video of the president lying in the weeks leading up to the election, lying about the election, uh, marshalling people to assemble that day on the 6th, intervening with state officials, uh, intervening with that Secretary of State in Georgia and audio from that tape recording. Uh, this president trying to cheat in every way, leading to the final effort uh, to steal this election on January 6th. That is really powerful stuff. Uh, and I, I think the House managers will, will make the decision, do they add to that power by bringing in live witnesses or do they diffuse it uh, by allowing uh, defense witnesses to come in and rebut it. And I'm confident they'll make the right judgment. You know, I was just on the phone uh, with my son. And I said, make sure you're watching the show because I hope you never see this again, uh, where people who are 100 percent aware of what happened on January 6th and why it happened. I mean, it's just it's not a subtle situation that they are thinking of giving a pass to the president. What do you want those men and women in the Senate to know? Well, I, I want them to know this. Um, you know, the job is just not that important. Uh, if the worry here is losing a primary election, there are worse things in the world. And to me, a worse thing in the world is not to do your constitutional duty, uh, to let down the country, to not fulfill your oath, uh, to leave the chamber whenever we leave uh, Congress and regret uh, that we didn't have the courage and the strength to do the right thing. That, to me, would be the worst uh, outcome. Uh, and I, I would also say, just as we worried uh, during the first trial that if senators recognized he was guilty and yet voted to acquit, that it would recur, that he would cheat again. Uh, if they don't disqualify this president after committing the most egregious constitutional crime in history um, and he runs again, we will fully have to expect he will cheat, he will lie, and he will incite again. And he put this country through hell again. They're, they have a, the power to stop that. And they should use that power because it's consistent with their duty. Their party will never be the same if that happens. May not be as it is. Congressman Adam Schiff, thank God you're okay. A horrible thing for you to have to live through. And that goes for the sixth and this. Uh, this cannot be easy for you to watch. Be well and thank you. 
Thank you, Chris. All right, now let's go inside the trial with a juror who, again, is a witness, Senator Amy Klobuchar. It's good to see you. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be on again. So help me understand how, after what they saw and heard in that room today, just one of your Republican brothers and sisters in the Senate made the move to join the other five and all the Democrats saying, yeah, we should hold this trial. I don't know. I think they should come on your show to explain themselves, uh, because to me, uh, the Constitution speaks for itself. And they've heard from some of the most conservative lawyers in the country, including the Republican Lawyer of the Year, uh, Mr. Cooper, uh, who has made it very clear uh, that the Constitution would allow this trial to go forward, uh, that in fact, as uh, Mr. Congressman Nagoose did such an incredible job of explaining, uh, that when you go through history, uh, the Secretary of War was impeached after he had left office. Uh, you look at the plain language of the Constitution. So to me, there is no, as Jamie Raskin explained, there is no January exemption in the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't say, oh, you know, you can't do bad stuff, but you know that last month you can do whatever you want when you go out the door. I think Trevor Noah said it best when he said, uh, you know, you can't get fired from Best Buy and take a TV on your way out. So that was established today. Despite the votes of some of my colleagues, we did have six of them vote with us. So for history's sake, Chris, we will always know that a trial like this can go forward uh, because of the strong vote on that. Now we go into tomorrow, and they're going to see more videos like the one today, videos we have not yet seen before because they were police cameras and the like from inside the Capitol. And to me, that was just chilling. Uh, the flagpole uh, with the American flag being used to ram through windows and beat police officers. The Trump flags uh, on full display, literally hitting people, being used to take on and invade a co-equal branch of government, and we're going to see more of that tomorrow. Never a good sign when a comedian seems to see the issue more clearly than the senators uh, weighing it. Um, one quick procedural question, and then I have a question about uh, your disposition going forward. The procedural question is, why did today happen? It is not called for in the Constitution. It's not called for in the Senate procedural rules. Why did the Democrats let the Republicans question what their duty was in this situation? Well, I think you're always going to have procedural motions, questions that could have been asked at various times of the trial. Um, and I certainly think if you look at it from a strategic position, Chris, and this was a bipartisan agreement, it was very important to have that going forward between Leader Schumer and ranking uh, leader McConnell. So that was important. But the other thing is, let's look at what happened today. The Republicans were vast... The, to a T, criticizing President Trump's lawyers. And they were criticizing because they were bad. But I don't think that we should lose focus on what really matters. There is no defense for the indefensible. Mm. It's not just about what the lawyers did today. So my point to you is strategically, we won today in a big way. America won today because we won that constitutional argument that was very clear uh, to get behind us so we can go on to the facts of the case. All right, well argued. Uh, here's the next thing. Do you think it's worth Thank a suggestion um, to the, um, the members of the jury? How many of us needed to die? If they had gotten their hands on Schiff, God forbid, if they had found Nancy Pelosi, how many? W would you feel know. differently? I, I, would I, you hold I, the president I, to account if they had gotten her, if they had gotten him and her? How many? I was actually thinking this today as I sat there, how close we were and how uh, the Capitol Police, actually so many of them incurring injury, uh, they were able uh, to get us to a secure location. And the point is, it was so close. They were literally at the doors. In the case of the House, they were ramming through the doors. Um, and the fact that there were some valiant people that stood up and protected us and incurred severe injuries, uh, with one of them dying, two of them later taking their own lives because they couldn't deal with what had happened. Look at that, Chris. I don't know why that's not enough evidence for them, but we are about to find out. Senator, thank you very much. I appreciate Thank you, Chris. You. you know, the situation is so painfully obvious that usually an unknown is absolutely known in this situation. Ordinarily, the people you want to hear from are the people who did the bad things. And usually you don't because they support the person on trial. Here, even the rioters 
say Trump incited the insurrection. And be clear, they're not going bad on him. They support him. That's how clear this is in their mind. They say they were there because the ex-president told them to fight and they left when he said to leave. You're about to hear the detailed explanation of one suspect seen spraying cops with a fire extinguisher at the Capitol. Next. I meant what I said. Tonight is a night uh, for you to have your kids watch. Um, I got my kids watching with my in-laws in one place. My other kid is in school, right? Because we're all crazy with the schools, with my wife. They're all watching. This should never happen again where we are right now, where the obvious is being obfuscated and for the worst of reasons. The central question of this impeachment is why did Americans attack the U.S. Capitol? Trump's lawyers argue, quote, the people who were criminally breached the Capitol did so of their own accord and for their own reasons. Yes, but what were those reasons? Every single case we've examined on this show, every attorney representing someone charged in that riot, they all have the same obvious ugly reason. They were doing it for Trump. Tonight, it's not about the legal defense of Matthew Ryan Miller. I think his case is obvious and it doesn't interest me. Charges of attacking cops with a fire extinguisher are no joke. I'm saying litigating it doesn't interest me. I think it's obvious. We'll let the process work. What does matter is what's happening in Trump's trial. Why did Miller do it? May not help him, but it could make the difference in this trial in terms of what is on the heart and soul and mind of those who decide to give him a pass. Miller's attorney is Eduardo Valarezzo. Counselor, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Chris. The president's counsel is asserting your guy did what he did. It had nothing to do with the president. Response. Well, you have to understand what the situation was. Uh, uh, Matthew was at the, at the rally to protest, to exert his First Amendment rights. He had no uh, motive, no other uh, reason to go and storm the Capitol. The only reason any of those people went to the Capitol to storm it and to do whatever they did there was because Trump demanded it, Trump asked for it, and Trump wanted it. You can't get away from that. Uh, now, look, if we were talking about your guy, I'd say, hey, he put his hand on that fire extinguisher. He made every stupid choice himself, and he's going to get what he's supposed to get. But in this trial, uh, do you believe that he could you explain to me why he thinks he had to do this for Trump? Well, first of all, I'm a little limited by the attorney client privilege, as you all know, about what my client may have said to me. But you have to understand, first of all, put my, the, my filings recently into the proper context. I simply filed a motion for bond review asking a judge to release my client pretrial. And we brought up the Trump uh, incitement to, to this rebellion because it was relevant to whether or not my client can get out. Now, as to why my client went there, obviously he was there with the crowds. We can't get away from that. Uh, he was there to, as I said, to protest what he thought was a stolen election at the request of the president of the United States. And when they stopped, he stopped. When Trump said stop, they stopped and they all went home. That's that's really, again, you can't get away from that particular fact. It's not a defense that my client is alleging at this point, but it's merely a uh, a factor for the court to consider in his motion for a bond review, which is what I, I have filed. And this isn't about your client now going bad on Trump, right? What is his disposition towards the president as of your most recent discussion? Well, he's still a supporter of President Trump. I don't know if that's going to change or not. Uh, and th- no, it's not. He's not going bad on Trump, but he's got to take responsibility, as he knows, for his own particular actions. Uh, what Trump did is something for the impeachment managers and for the Senate to decide. And that really has nothing to do with what my client did and why he took the actions that he took. Well, now listen, it has everything to do with it in terms of what it means for Trump's trial. Um, for his own defense, you'll have to figure that out. I just wanted to make that clear for the audience. I appreciate uh, you making that clear to us tonight. Thank you, Counselor. Thank you. All right. Just to be clear, okay, the guy still supports Trump, okay? He likes Trump, and he still will say in court and through his lawyer, I went there because Trump told me to do it, and I stopped when he said to stop. What else do you need to hear? 
The defense team argues that Trump's political speech is protected, and that is right. But having the right to say something doesn't mean that everything you say is right and will be said without any consequence, especially in a political context. Does the First Amendment really allow a president to incite a mob to overthrow an election that killed people along the way? And what is the test? One of our brightest constitutional scholars about what is his right, but also the examination of what is right and in what context. Next. There are three points to the former president's defense. First one, constitutionality. Done. Two more. The impact of Trump's words on the rioters. That it was protected speech. Okay. Maybe he had the right to say it. Fine. But you just heard from the lawyer of yet another person who breached the Capitol grounds. And yeah, you had the right to say it, but it wasn't right. And when you put that idea in this guy's head and he did what he did, you should be held to account. Now, how does this go with speech? His rights versus what is right. Noah Feldman teaches at Harvard Law, testified in Trump's first impeachment inquiry. Good to see you, Professor. Please explain for the audience the difference between protected speech, even if it's criminal speech, and impeachable speech. The First Amendment basically says that if you're a public citizen or a private citizen, you can say whatever you want without fear of being prosecuted criminally for it. And so it would be very difficult, maybe not impossible, but difficult to prosecute Donald Trump for what he said in that speech. But the First Amendment does not apply to protect you or give you a get out of jail free card from being impeached. What the president did is he committed an impeachable high crime of subverting democracy and inciting people to riot. And he did it while talking. And the fact that he did it while talking doesn't bring him within the protection of the First Amendment. The First Amendment is about what Congress can do through law or what the government can do to you. It's not about avoiding the consequences in an impeachment trial for something that you did wrong by talking. Now, this is going to be somewhat immediately familiar because people will think, well, yeah, you can get sued for defamation, right? You can get sued uh, for slander if somebody's lying about you. You can demonstrate damage or there's certain categories where you don't have to demonstrate damage. But what will be sticky here is people will say, well, but this is what politicians do is give speeches. You know, you never punish them for what they say and lots of bad things happen. Why here? Well, you can't arrest them and you can't send them to prison for saying things. What you can do is engage in an analysis of whether they committed high crimes and misdemeanors. And high crimes means political crimes, crimes punishable by impeachment. The worst thing that can happen to Donald Trump as a result of this impeachment is that he can be banned from from future office. That's not like going to prison. It's not like having to pay money damages. And it's not protected by the First Amendment because the Constitution has a separate process for impeachment. And it is entirely separate from the protections that the First Amendment gives you. Uh, I want to uh, depart for a moment. Uh, because, you know, I really do believe the question on these senators' minds should be, how many people had to die for you to feel differently about it that day? How many of your colleagues? The humanity of it, I think, is being escaped because we're avoiding the six. They don't want to talk about it. You know, we don't even remember. It took us a month to commemorate it. Jamie Raskin, uh, the lead house manager, congressman, obviously, uh, he and his wife, their family, lost their son recently. Uh, You knew their son as a student and as a human being. And There was something to his words today that I took as a reminder of our interconnectedness and our interdependence and why we're supposed to care about each other and what's being lost in our politics. I want to play some of what the lead house manager had to say today. Distinguished members of the Senate, my youngest daughter, Tabitha, was there with me on Wednesday, January 6th. It was the day after we buried her brother, our son, Tommy, the saddest day of our lives. The reason they came with me that Wednesday, January 6th, was because they wanted to be together with me in the middle of a devastating week for our family. And I told them I had to go back to work because we were counting electoral votes that day on January 6th. It was our constitutional duty. And I invited them instead to come with me to witness this historic event, the peaceful transfer of power in America. And they said they heard that President Trump was calling on his followers to come to Washington to protest, and they asked me directly, would it be safe? Would it be safe? 
And I told them, of course it should be safe. This is the capital. My chief of staff, Julie Tagan, was with Tabitha and Hank locked and barricaded in that office. The kids hiding under the desk, placing what they thought were their final texts and whispered phone calls to say their goodbyes. They thought they were going to die. My son-in-law had never even been to the Capitol before. And when they were finally rescued, over an hour later by Capitol officers, and we were together, I hugged them, and I apologized, and I told my daughter Tabitha, who's 24, and a brilliant algebra teacher in Teach for America, now, I told her how sorry I was, and I promised her that it would not be like this again the next time she came back to the Capitol with me. And you know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't want to come back to the Capitol. <laughs> of all the terrible, brutal things I saw and I heard on that day, And since then, that one hit me the hardest. Now, look, uh, a colder heart uh, would suggest, okay, I, I feel badly for him and his daughter uh, and that they lost their son. What does that have to do with this? I argue uh, the relevancy of the connection to the human spirit and where his head and his heart were that day and their pain and that that should matter to our leaders. Uh, the January 6th should matter. And to contextualize that, you knew this kid. And what do you want to make sure, what people know about who this kid was to his family and to you? It was a huge pleasure to teach Tommy constitutional law. And he was just an ebullient, alive, thoughtful, considerate, brilliant young man. His loss is just a, a terrible tragedy. And his father is so proud of him. When I testified at the first impeachment hearing, the congressman made a point of coming over to say, you know, the semester's beginning. You're going to have my son in your class. You know, don't go easy on him. And I said, don't, don't worry about it. And he was just an extraordinary kid and very concerned about his classmates and about doing the right thing and doing good things. And to me, he stands for what our country is capable of being. So that tragic loss for, for the Raskin family is also a tragic loss for all of us. And it's a kind of loss in a deeper sense of our capacity as a country to cross the aisle, to be connected to one another, and to treat our politics as a zone of rational discussion, which is something that Tommy really stood for, and passion for doing the right thing, which is also something that he stood for, rather than this, you know, this game of political fighting. And so when I, when I hear the political and the constitutional gamesmanship, uh, and I heard a lot of that today, I'm afraid, um, from Donald Trump's lawyers, I just think that's not the world we want to live in. That's not the world we want our, want our kids to have. Yeah, that, that, that's it, Professor. Well said. Well said. Is that why does it matter that Jamie Raskin was talking about losing his son and the fear of his daughter? Because we're supposed to care about one another. And if that is what is guiding how you do your job, you won't be doing it the way you're doing it right now. And that's the saddest thing, because if this isn't enough, if what happened on January 6th isn't enough, what is? What if they'd gotten their hands on Pelosi and Schiff and Pence? Would that be enough? And if that's the calculation, what does that say about us? Noah Feldman, thank you for feeding the head and the heart. Appreciate you. Thank you, Chris. We'll be right back in a moment. Now, what I want to do with you is, before we talk to the big man, D. Lemon, did you see this or hear about the new CNN original series, Lincoln, Divided We Stand? It is so appropriate. Take a listen. Lincoln freed the slaves. But it's more complicated than that. Some people got the real problem. New president, a prairie lawyer with no experience, trying to hold together the American experiment. The stakes were extremely high. This election is an earthquake. Don't put the blame. The biggest misconception of Lincoln is that he was perfect. I'm only human. Make mistakes. I'm only human. Love. 
the man who found a way to make democracy sing. Lincoln, Divided We Stand, premieres Sunday night at 10. Special coverage tonight. We'll be back midnight Eastern, special live late night edition of primetime. But now it's time for the big show, CNN Tonight, with the big man, D. Lemon. I got to tell you, I've never seen anything like it. I was stunned by the Trump lawyer's performance. Just stunned. It was awful. Let's be honest. It was awful. They don't have the law. They don't have the facts. They don't have the pedigree. And what they do have overcomes all of that. They have the jury rigged in their favor. So they can do as bad a job as you think they did. And they're still in better position. I'm not saying it's going to affect the outcome. I was just surprised at uh, the rambling and uh, the stories. And I thought that they were making the other side's case. And maybe that well, was a strategy. On I don't, one level, don't really they, know. On one level, they have to. Right. On one level, they have to say, look, uh, the election was decided uh, and, and everybody did what they were supposed to do. All these people are acting on their own. They're smart. They don't need someone to tell them what to do. So he didn't incite them. He didn't tell them what to do. This is what they wanted to do. I get it. They just didn't do it well. I do believe that the most powerful point of this, because you're, of course, right, You have never seen anything like this before. We have never experienced anything like this before. It is a low point of our politics in our lifetime. You have men and women who are witnesses and potential victims of an act that they refuse to hold someone they know is responsible to account for. They refuse. And I really believe the House managers won't do it because it's too incendiary, because this is all about votes. So you'll just piss these people off and make it more likely they vote against you. But I really do believe this is the question, Don. Who needed to die? If they had gotten Pelosi, God forbid, if they had gotten Schiff, if they had gotten Pence, God forbid, would you vote to convict then? No. Who did they have to get? No. And I would be pointing. How about her? How about him? Would this have done it for you? You guys eat lunch a lot together. What if he died? Yeah. And I really think that's where we are right now. Well, I, 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 said, I, I said last night what I, what I believe. And it, the constitutionality doesn't matter. We know it's constitutional because when he was impeached, he was in office. When they sent those impeachment papers off, he was in office. So this whole idea about you can't impeach a sitting pri- a, a, a private citizen, he wasn't a private citizen. So that is all BS, and we know it. But the other part is what I said. If, there were, if it weren't for the lie, not just we're not even talking about the day of. I'm talking about the phone call to Georgia the lies over and over on weeks social weeks. media for weeks and weeks. Even, I mean, you want to say years? You can say a year where he talked about if I lose this election, it's going to be rigged. He incited it from the very beginning. It's obvious, but I don't know if many in the Senate will have the courage and the, you know, what's fortitude to stand up I got to tell right you, thing. I, I think you're probably right. I just don't understand it. My political brain doesn't understand what they're doing. This base argument doesn't work for me. One, putatively, most people who describe themselves as Democrat or Republican vote that way regardless, okay? And this is your last chance to get your party back from this guy. I understand what's going on. And I don't get their calculation. I understand it really well. There are a lot of people who, as I've been telling you forever, there are a lot of people in this country who are afraid of what is happening. They're afraid of the diversity in, in this country. But they'll vote for him anyway. They're going to, but maybe. But he has, he was the most vocal in all of the things that they're afraid of. And so they, found, they see themselves in him with that particular part. So they prioritize that part over the discrimination of other people over all of the crazy rhetoric that he did. That's what they, that's what they prioritize. And so they want to continue with that America and, and in an America where you can be a white supremacist, where you can wear a, a Camp Auschwitz sweatshirt, where you can do but run who, roughshod over like the that, Constitution. Who would they ever vote because, for except someone on that side of the aisle who's no, pitching them that virulence? No, 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 they're not because. Those, because they, they look at those people as rhinos. And because this was the person who stood up for them the most in that horrible way, the worst part yeah, of their I get personality. It. He was the worst being, of the worst. That's I'm with it. you. That's why. 
So, I, st- I mean, I still don't get the political calculus, but I, I really yeah. do believe I, I have, you know, Bella, Mario and Chacha, you know, a little weird, weird with the bedtime with Chacha, but they were watching tonight. Yeah. Uh, and ordinarily, that's only because they're really Jones in the CU if it happens. <laughs> but they needed to watch tonight yeah. with my in-laws in one place, with Christine, another one, because we're split like every other family who's in school, yeah. who isn't in school. They will never hopefully see anything like this again. Well, where people who were almost victimized by an insurrection refuse to hold the man in without question. I want to be potentially part of the problem and they won't hold him to account. Look, I got to run because we're going over here but and and, and, I, and I want to get you on the air at midnight. Um, you know, I don't want to go over. Sure, right, you can go over. Here's Take as much time as you like. I, because I love you know your kids and I love my my uh, nephews, my nieces and great nephews. I would like a world where or a country where this doesn't happen again. But if this if if they if the if the Senate and the Republicans in the Senate and in the Congress in Congress Keep going the way they're going. Yes, there's going to be a repeat. We warned. We 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 are, we said this in the news forever. You and I have been talking about this, about ignoring what's happening in this country, ignoring the division, ignoring the the inflammatory rhetoric. That it was going to lead to something that was much more dangerous and and physical, and it did. So if this continues on, if they allow this, they continue to be complicit, then they will live in a world where something like this will happen again, and that's. That's, that's what I got to say. Luckily, I, I know your kids. I love you. And I know my kids, and I know they're better than we are. Uh, I love you, that's D. Lemon. That's true. Especially when you. They're better than you are. <laughs> I'll see you at midnight. See you soon. Low Thank bar. You. <laughs> I love you, D. Lemon. I'll see you later. Thank you. This is- Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.